0: hello everybody my name is tim daniel and welcome to a very very special edition of late night red stock live here on the riverfront where we have a really awesome guest i'm very excited about I will bring him on here in just a bit. Just want to make sure real quick, I give the quick shout out. Make sure you're following us on all socials uh, at Riverfront Cincy and join the Patreon if you haven't already at patreon.com slash Riverfront Cincy where you can hang out with us every week. I'm very excited for tonight's show. I know things are not as fun in Reds land right now, but we're going to reminisce on some good times in Reds country and we're going to bring on our very special guest. He was the starting center fielder for two National League Central Division winning teams. Our good friend and yours. Welcome back to Red's Country, everybody. Drew Stubbs. Drew, how are you, man?
1: I'm great, Tim. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm so excited to have you on. Um, this is really cool to talk with you. I've been really excited about this all week, actually, since I reached out to you. Um, it was cool, man, because when I announced that I was going to have you on, I put some stuff out on social. So, like, if anyone has any questions, anyone wants me to ask Drew anything, just let me know. I'll make sure I get the question in. And it was a lot of questions, but it was a lot of, like, Tell him I said thank you. It was a lot of like thank you for being part of those Central Division Championship teams. You gave us a lot of fun those summers. A lot of like he was really cool to my kid, whether it was at baseball camps or before batting practice. So you had a, like a really cool effect on Reds Country. So I was like I was kind of really cool to see that reception for you.
1: Well, that's that's very appreciative. I'm I'm happy to hear that, and you know the mantra that I always took around the ballpark was. Um, You know, I remember being a a pre-teenage kid uh, in Texas going to Ranger games and getting the opportunity every so often to bump into a player, you know, from the opposing team coming through and either being down on the rail asking for an autograph or uh, maybe even being at the same team hotel with those guys. Um, You know, I saw ones that were very gracious and giving of their time and others that were not so much, and, um, you know, not knowing that I would actually get that opportunity, I, I never forgot what that was like, you know, the good and the bad um, from back then. And, and it's tough. Let, let's be honest. Like you're, you've got a lot of demands on you uh, as a player uh, at the ballpark, away from the ballpark. But, um, you know, I always try to make a point to take the time, especially for kids, uh, when I had the time.
0: Yeah, it's definitely You actually, so I'm 34. I was about 21, 22 in that era. And you actually signed a couple of baseballs for me at like Reds Fest and batting practice and stuff that I've had over the years. So you were I was always a huge fan of yours. I was you were always one of my favorite players. And like literally, so right now we have people in our chat room who are talking about they remember your walk up song in your time <laughs> in Cincinnati. So
1: yeah, I would kind of switch it up each year, change genres, change artists. But um, there was a few good ones that that obviously stuck with people, and um, you know makes you feel good when you have an impact like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we're definitely going to talk with Drew about some of those great Reds teams. But of course, guys, if you tune in every week, you know we start with late-night Reds trivia, or as we call it, NNR trivia, where we give a prize out each and every week. This one is Drew-related. Uh, Drew, you might not remember this one either. So the question this, this week is, how many different left fielders did Drew Stubbs and Jay Bruce play with during their time with the Reds? It's a lot.
1: Is this names or, or number?
0: Names. So how many? Oh, you can. How many? There's. Okay, I'll there's go top of my head.
1: Yeah, uh, Chris Heisey, Johnny Gomes, Ryan Ludwig, Lance Nix. Um. Shoot, that those were pretty easy, but then it starts <laughs> yeah. a little stickier after that, I guess. Fred Lewis. Yep. Um. There's
0: some that would be there for like Chris Dickerson, game. Chris Dickerson. Um, and I'm starting to run out after that. There were like some that were part of the team who would be like all season, but would play like one game in left field. Uh, so like Yonder played like one game in left field. Yeah. And like uh, Willie Harris was one. Yeah. So it was kind of funny. Um, But I'll make sure we get that answer out in the show later on. I'll have the list for you as well. So, awesome. What is life like now for you? I know we re- when I reached out to you, good mention you aren't really keeping up with baseball as much these days now that you're out of the game. So, what is life like for Drew Stubbs now?
1: Um, well, so you know my last year to play was 2017, and um, like anything else, you know there's very few guys that are able to walk away from the game on their own terms. Um, you know whether it's injury or or dip in performance or whatever the case may be, you just age out. Um I got released by the San Francisco Giants uh sometime in May of 2017. And that was the last big league team I played for. Uh actually I believe my last game ironically was uh was against the Reds in Cincinnati. And um, you know, got let go at that point. And at that at that time I transitioned from an everyday player to a uh, platoon player to a part-time player to a basically a reserve player um and you know I was still in my early to mid their early 30s I guess and you know physically I felt great um I felt like I could continue doing it um I ended up um signing with the the Rangers uh to go to Triple A I knew I wasn't going to probably bounce into a big league deal right after that so um, my agent and I talked and um, I've lived in Austin, you know, for the better part of 15 to 20 years now. And um, I was just like, man, if I got to go to AAA somewhere, let's just see if the Rangers would have me because if that were the case, I can, I can live at home and commute to Round Rock, which is about a 20 minute drive and it worked out. So given the circumstances, you know, it was pretty nice being able to stay in your own home, uh, go play ball. I had an out built into my contract about every two weeks where uh, knowing that the Rangers weren't necessarily a, clear path back up, uh, somebody was going on a playoff run or, or just needed help, you know, I could jump ship and go. And, um, truthfully, uh, I felt like I played pretty well while I was there. Um, I had a track record that spoke for itself, uh, with experience and so forth, and nobody came calling. And so I told my agent at the end of that year that, uh, Hey, if, if I can't make a big league team next spring, and stay in the big leagues, I'm going to walk away. Um, you know, it it uh, it just feels right because I, I don't want to be a guy spinning my wheels, um, you know, after eight or so major league seasons trying to just hang on and, and play part of the time in AAA and vice versa. Uh, I had other aspirations kind of beyond baseball. So um, fast forward to the spring of 2018, there were a number of teams that, Uh, had just dumped payroll and and disbanded their entire outfield. They knew they weren't going to be very good. And, um, you know, we were calling them and saying, hey, look, you don't have to give me a guaranteed deal. Let me come to camp and compete. Uh, I'll be a kind of a, you know, high floor, low ceiling guy or high floor, um, potentially high ceiling guy for you. But um, very little risk in, in the fact that I could go to camp and if they didn't like what they saw, let me go. Uh, and nobody was really, really willing to do that. And so I just, you know, it got to be the middle of March and, um, I was like, okay, well, I've got my firstborn child coming up, uh, any day now. I think I'm, I, can, I don't have enough at bats from here until the end of spring training to go and make a team just the right. no to work out. So just walk away. Um, April 1st, a couple weeks after that, we had our, our, our uh, Sloan, our first kid, uh who's she turned five uh you know a few weeks ago um we've now got a two and a half year old son um and you know people ask me all the time do you, do you miss baseball and um my answer kind of, of the whole season and the day-to-day of it um the competing is something you it's it's hard to kind of fill that void that you've had for your whole life and now all of a sudden you don't um, but what I really miss is uh, the camaraderie and the sense of family you have with teammates and the, you know, the plane flights, the locker room talk. You really do spend more time with those guys than you do your family. So that's really the only thing that I miss. Like I said, I mean, over the last five years, I could probably count on my two hands how many games start to finish uh, any team that I've really watched uh, postseason aside so you know as my kids go a little bit older i'll probably get back into it a little bit more but um finishing your question on what i'm doing now um i left university of texas after three years in 2006 to pursue my pro career so immediately after retirement i went back and i finished up my last two semesters to get my business degree from there and then kind of started looking at what i might want to do next it took a couple years took some time And I've been an investor in a lot of local commercial real estate in and around Austin and, uh, started working about two and a half years ago for a, uh, a local commercial title company, um, that kind of dominates the space here. Obviously Austin has been a very, uh, booming town with growth and and new companies and opportunities coming here. So it's been fun. I don't know if it's going to be a, um, you know, lifelong deal for me, but it's been a great place to start. And, um, Learned a lot. And, and, uh, you know, you find out that there's a lot more opportunities out there and and ways to make a living than just playing baseball. So it's, it's pretty good.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Because I think that's really neat that you mentioned going back and finishing up your education. I think that's a huge thing. Um, I, you know, I think that's awesome and it's really cool too. You got to go back, like you said, like being in your home area, like it's kind of a win-win scenario there for sure. So that's really awesome. Um, I am so excited to ask you probably 10 million questions about the reds, but I'm trying to be respectful of your time, obviously. So I will try to get started here and we'll get to everything with your tenure, as well as your career. One of the things I kind of really, when I was looking through, I did a lot of research for this. So when you were drafted to the reds, you were obviously in the first round, very loaded draft, by the way, your draft is like insane. How much talent was in that draft? Um, Your draft was a center fielder at the time that you're drafted, the center fielder for the major league club is, you know, Ken Griffey Jr., one of the three greatest center fielders of all time, my favorite player ever. When you were in spring training with him in big league camp or anything like that, did you get to kind of ever interact with him or see like, like learn anything from him during your time when you were coming up?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is a story that I remember pretty vividly. Um, I did not go to big league camp. Like, there every day until I wasn't there every day, but uh, came over for a lot of games and got to interact with guys, uh, you know, fill in the second half of games and so forth. But uh, in 2008, I believe it was, or maybe, no, I was 07. So it was the year that Josh Hamilton got rule five by the Reds. He was trying to make the team. Dunn and Grippy were still there. Uh, It was early in camp, and I got asked to go to Clearwater from Sarasota to play against the Phillies, and I was going to back up uh, the outfielders. And so Hamilton was leading off that day. Uh, Grippy was playing right. And, uh, you know, we would normally early in camp come in after the guys got three at-bats. So Hamilton got his third at-bat in the fifth inning. uh, They told him he was out. And they said, Drew, you're going to go in and and take over for him in center. And Junior uh, wanted one more at bat. He was going to be up, like, maybe leading off the next inning or something. So, although I had been in the locker room with him, you know, those guys tended to kind of keep to themselves. I mean, I was just this young 22-year-old kid that probably didn't even know who we were, whatever. But uh, I remember running out to center field, and he was – I played a half inning in the field with him. And the most nervous I've ever been – playing catch was warming up that, inning with King Griffey Jr. And, uh, you know, it was, I just remember, don't, don't airmail one over his head, you know, don't make a fool of yourself. And then that, that half inning, we actually had a pitching change, so we all got to kind of converge and extend that, which was really cool. Listen to him look up and talk trash to the fans and stuff like that. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I got to know him um, a little bit better after he had retired and he was hanging around, and obviously, you know, when you're a, a kind of like-minded player, similar position, you kind of uh, take a, a an interest in some of those guys. So, um, yeah, I, that that was kind of my my story that I I remember and and uh, didn't get to spend a ton of time with him. I, I talked with Jay Bruce about it a lot, and you know Jay did. Jay played uh, maybe a full season or two with him
0: mm-hmm.
1: and got to see more. But uh, definitely a cool experience for me.
0: That is really cool. It's like, you know, because it's it's the guy that we all were in the back like idolize like imitating the swing, right? That's like the guy we always like idolize. So that's really neat. Um your rookie ball year in Billings. Your team was loaded. You yeah. guys were really good. What was that team like as far as like learning to play pro ball together and winning at the same time?
1: Yeah, well like you said, we had a great draft. We had a very college heavy draft. Um so a lot of the guys on the team had played, you know, at a high level in Division One, and uh, all got to come together and play together. And we, frankly, we dominated that league as a team. Um, you know, another funny story, as you look back, uh, Justin Turner was like our seventh or eighth round pick, and he was a senior sign. Um, I don't think the Reds or anybody, for that matter, was really excited about having him as a prospect in the system. We all knew he was, a, you know, very very solid player. He had played second base at Cal State Fullerton. They they beat us in the national championship series in 2004. Um, so I, I knew who he was. And and as we played together, you know, you saw how uh, fundamentally sound he was. Um, back then, he he hit like two hole, and he could really kind of shoot the ball the other way and handle the bat really well. Didn't hit a ton of home runs. Um, and I, I remember thinking like that year and then going to Dayton the next and then instructional ball, all this stuff. I was just like, man, red can really play. And he just doesn't do anything that jumps off the page at you. And I hope that somebody, whether it's the reds or somebody else gives him an opportunity to be like a utility infielder in the big leagues. That's what I remember thinking. And he got traded uh, maybe in 2008 ish uh, to the Orioles and actually got a cup of coffee with them. And and then I don't know if he got hurt or just was up temporarily or whatever else. And then they DFA'd him and he he went over to the Mets and same type of deal, got a little bit of time, uh, never really stuck or did anything to jump off the page. And then we all know he went over to the Dodgers and it was probably looking to be a very similar situation for him there. And Juan Uribe, their third baseman got injured and they had to plug him into third base to play temporarily every day And something clicked, and he just went bananas. And I know he worked a lot with their hitting coach and learned how to kind of leverage his swing to drive the ball in the the loft a little bit more. And he started hitting home runs. And all of a sudden, I look up, and I think at that time, I had gone over, uh, this was like 2014, maybe, 13, 14. And, uh, you know, I played for the Rockies those years, and we would see a lot of them. And I'm like, oh, my God, like Justin Turner's hitting – 25 home runs yeah. and he's hitting third every night for the dodgers like what what's happened i talked to him about it and he's just like man i don't know i just got an opportunity and you know tweaked a few things with my swing and playing with confidence and, and here we go and obviously now like he's probably one of the most beloved dodgers of this generation being from out there and playing on some great teams and now you know keeping it going in boston so That's just a great story of, uh, you know, how you never know if you're a draftee, you have the same opportunity as anybody else. And it's, you know, you can make the most of it just like he did.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Your 2008 minor league year, you played three levels of minor league ball. So you started in high A. You go to Chattanooga. I think you're in Chattanooga looking at your baseball reference page for like a month and a half. I don't think you were there very long. And then you're in Louisville. Did you kind of get the feeling, obviously you're like, you're progressing for a reason. You know, the, the organization has a lot of trust in you. They have a lot of confidence in you at that point. But did you feel like this was kind of like they were speeding you because they saw the success you were having? Did you feel like it was like you were instilling confidence in yourself? Like, I'm going to be a big leaguer very soon because of that that year.
1: Yeah, that that was, uh felt like a little bit of a turning point in my career. Not Not that anything was going south or whatever, but I was on a you know very modest track to get there. You know, like you said, I played a full uh, short season in Billings, played a full year in low A, and I saw a lot of my teammates like Justin Turner and Chris Valeka and some of our pitchers you know, get elevated to Sarasota and finish the year in High A, and I did not. Um, and so the next year, um, you know, I was kind of thinking, well i'll I'll spend most of the season in Sarasota. When I got called up to double A, um, I thought, OK, great. This is my first promotion in season. I'll finish the year in double A and then hopefully, you know, play well enough there to get a shot to go to triple A the following year. So most guys, um, especially the, the prospects, you know, you'll see them get fast tracked early on and either bypass a low level or spend a short amount of time at a low level and get to double A. And that's kind of where you uh, the training wheels come off and you spend more time there. And you grow as a player, but for me, for whatever, I think it was, it was timing and uh, personnel, but uh, possibly uh, because like you said, I was there for five, six weeks. And um, you know, that was my shortest stint of any level, which is very ironic because usually that's one of the longer stops for a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Willie Tavares had gotten injured in the big leagues. Uh, the team was really out of the race Chris Dickerson went up for the first time, and now the Louisville team uh, did not. I think maybe they were in playoff contention. That's what it was. So they didn't have a center fielder. And I, I bumped up to to do play for them and, you know, showed pretty well. Um, started, obviously, the next year in AAA and then, um, you know, played most of that year in 09 before getting called up. So, yeah, that 08 year, um, just getting the chance for the first time to get the promotion in season versus – wait until after it's done that, that felt a little different. And I think it, uh, it gave me some, some momentum to carry forward.
0: Yeah. And you also went to Arizona fall league that year. What was that experience like for you?
1: Well, uh, I mean, honestly, I was a little tired and run down at the end of that season. Sure. Um, And, and some guys really use the fall league to go out there and show out and, you know, get themselves on the radar for the big leagues the next year. And, um, we had, we had a lot of really good center field guys on our team. Um, Michael Brantley was still playing center field. He was actually with the Brewers at the time before the Indians had ruled 5 him. We had Austin Jackson, who was a big prospect, uh, a couple of other guys. But, you know, I, I just got I, – I never really got in a rhythm. I didn't play very well at all out there. Um, I didn't do anything to wow anybody. And, uh, you know, I, I – like I said, the the time of year you're there, you either love it, or if you're, if you're nicked up or you're tired, uh, you know, it's you're playing into November, kind of button up to Thanksgiving. And I just, after probably halfway through it, I, things weren't going great. I was just kind of ready to get out of there to be honest, but, uh, it was a great experience. You know, I, I got to know and play against some of the best, uh, young guys out there. And, um, you know looking back i wish i wish my experience was a little bit better where i where i played well and and felt well coming out of there but you know maybe everything happens for a reason and uh get going in triple a the next year and and kind of take off from there
0: yeah which leads to 2009 is the year you get called up um i really felt like you know we're going to get into the 2010 team here in a bit because that team was like one of my favorites of my lifetime as a reds fan um but so 2019 I mean 2009. Holy moly. I'm very far ahead there. Uh 2009. So it's kind of where you start to see that you guys like the franchise lay the foundation for the next three years. Um, They make the trade for Scott, the deadline where they trade Edwin. They call you up in August. Uh, You come up against the giants, which I don't know if you ever looked at your stats against the giants in your career. For some reason you had their number. Yeah. It was kind of interesting. Um, I have a clip. I was going to show you here in a second, but, when you got caught up in two thousand nine, you guys went on this run, like towards the end of the year. You guys were out of the race, obviously. But what was that run like for you? Come up to the big leagues, the team's struggling at the bit at that point of the year, and you guys start winning. After the Scott for trade, you come up. Jay's hurt at the time, also. So, what was that like for you coming up and kind of starting getting getting the ball rolling with that team?
1: Well, I, I think you kind of you see this around the league a lot, to where you know if you're a team that's maybe in contention and you play against an opponent who is out of contention, but they call up a bunch of young guys to give them a fun team to play. Because, uh, these, these guys are young, they're hungry, they're energetic. Uh, they're trying to show what they can do. And I think that's exactly where we fell into, um, you know, there was a bunch of guys that didn't have much experience at the big league level that got kind of thrown in the fire and, um, got an opportunity to run out there every single day and, and show what we could do. And, you know, I think I got maybe 180 at bats in six or seven weeks. Uh, that's, that's a lot. Uh, uh, um, we're able to do that also. And, um, yeah, it was just, I think kind of a shot in the arm to the team for a bunch of youth out there having fun and, you know, living out this time.
0: Yeah. So I have a clip for you. It's from your second big league game. I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. 1-1, bomb of the 10th, Drew Stubbs comes to the bat. This is Drew's first big league home run. It's a walk-off over the Giants at GABP. What was this moment like? Your first big league homer. You hit the game winner. It's in extra innings. It's a really tight, tight game. It was pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, uh, off the foul pole in front of a South- Yeah. Crowd as you
0: can.
1: To tell <laughs> and you know because it was kind of a late notice i was in louisville i drove up for the uh the night game i think it was a saturday night maybe or a wednesday night and then the second game which that one was was the get a And like three of my child, Northeast Texas to Cincinnati, I think it was like 11 hours, maybe in the car, but they got there um, at midnight and we had a one o'clock game uh, the next day. So they were actually able to all be there and see that. And then we went from there to Pittsburgh. And so they were just like, well, we're up here. We might as well keep it going. So they drove in from Cincinnati to Pittsburgh, uh, watched the next three games and then,
0: Drove you know,
1: drove home, which was a long haul.
0: Yeah, that is a long haul. I think we broke up there for a second. I'm sorry, Drew. Yeah, um, right. So that obviously leads us to 2010, and one of like the most fun years ever of being a Reds fan. So you guys obviously went the division that year. Um, it's one of those things where like everything kind of starts to come together. You guys started a little slow. You go, the first month was a little slow. And then you guys start hitting your straight in Bay. You take first place from the Cardinals in the middle of May. And then you guys are kind of battling with them all year on the field. And, you know, in some brawls behind home plate. There's some of those two. Um, but, that year was really special, obviously. It's your first full season, the bigs. Joey's the MVP that year. What was that, what was that team like, man? What was it like to kind of be in that locker room?
1: Well, uh, I'll hit on a couple of things. And, and uh, for one, I think that um, at the beginning of the year, um, you know, the, the talking heads, the experts, if you will, uh, didn't give us a chance to compete for the division. I mean, rightfully so. But I I think after the momentum we had at the end of the previous season and um, guys like me and Jay and, you know, Mike Leake gets drafted in 09 and then makes the big league club. Doesn't pitch a minor league inning before uh, doing that. Uh, You know, Cueto was a new call up. I mean, for that matter, Joey had not even had a start to finish, you know, he had some off the field personal issues, I think going on in 09. Um, It got called up in 08. So, there was just a lot of us that were like, Hey, like we're here, like, let's, let's do this. And, um, you sprinkle in some veterans like Scott and, you know, Lance Nix, Johnny Gomes, um, Arthur Rhodes. Uh, we got Chapman, I think that spring. Mm-hmm. So internally we're looking around, we're like, okay, guys, like we, we can make, maybe make a run here. And so, um, the Reds, I mean, you could probably tell me, but I, I'm not sure that the team had really, won a division since the world series team in
0: 1990, 95 was the 95. Yeah. They lost in the century. They lost in the championship series to the Braves.
1: So it had been a number of years since the reds were relevant. And so as we started to pick up some steam and momentum, uh, you could feel the community rallying with us like, okay, guys, like we may have something here. And uh, yeah, like you said, us kind of catching up the Cardinals who had year in year out been, the the blue chip team uh and having a little animosity there added some fuel to the fire but uh yeah i mean getting down to the end uh, and getting across the finish line i remember the night we clinched you know jay hit the walk-off home run against the astros in a in a meaningless game at the end of the but it, it really clinched the division for us and that that night was probably the biggest party i think i can ever remember starting post game going through the wee hours of that night. So, um, you know, we, we ended up running into a complete buzzsaw in Philadelphia in the first round of the playoffs with, and, you know, I get asked a lot, who's the toughest pitcher you face. I'm like, yeah, there are too many to name, but I can tell you the best pitch game that I've ever run across. and yeah. That was Roy Halladay in that game. I mean, the guy, I don't think we even not only did we not get a hit and he walked one guy Uh, on a 3-2 check swing that was pretty close. But I don't think we even hit a ball in the barrel. You know, I tell people that you look around any perfect game, any no-hitter, there's usually something like strange or a couple phenomenal defensive plays to keep it intact, a lot of luck. But there was no luck needed this night. I mean, this guy was absolutely dominant and masterful, and we didn't really have a chance. So, you know, you turn the page from that game, uh we faced Roy Oswalt in game two. I think we had a lead late in the game. Yeah. And uh I remember there's a play, uh ball hit into right center field and Jay had a beat on it and right at the last minute, it got in the lights and uh hit the tip of his glove and, and they ended up going ahead and, and uh, taking the lead and winning. So that was kind of deflating for us. And then, you know, Cole Hamills threw a complete game shutout and that was that was it. Like All this fun stuff just comes to an abrupt end but we learned a lot and we um you know we celebrated with the community and and the the team and, and the front office and everybody it was a very successful great year for us uh to build on for the years to come
0: i was at that game when jay hits the walk off and there's two plays in there particular where i feel like the ball's probably in the air for 20 minutes jay's walk off i felt like the ball was in the air forever and, of course, your catch of Carlos Lee here. So I'm in left field. I'm watching this ball, and I can't see you at this point. So when you come up and catch it, I'm waiting for the crowd to react to know what happened. I'm sure in that point, that's like a total bang-bang situation. But do you remember at all tracking that ball and being like, oh, shit, I got to catch up to this? Sorry for my language. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I just – watching that clip, it was – said it was the third inning. For some reason, I thought it was a little later in the game than that. Um, but that is, as I play, play it back in my head. I mean, I'm sure that I robbed a handful of home runs in my career, but that one like stood out to me the most, it was like the first impact, obviously the game, like, uh, from start to finish, we're like, if we win this game, we're going to win the division. So every run was, it was important. It felt like a playoff game to us. And, um, you know, I remember them having a chance to kind of, not blow the game open, but make it a little more comfortable. And we were fighting to not let them do that. And that just really kind of fortified our position to stay where we were and and put ourselves in a position to, to keep pushing uh, after that.
0: Yeah, it was unbelievable. Um, So a couple more questions on that team. So I do obviously have to ask about the Brandon Phillips versus Yadier Molina situation. I don't think I'm doing my job if I don't. Um obviously, you know, you talk about how close knit you guys were. You could tell as a fan going to the ballpark and seeing you guys play on a daily basis how much you guys really enjoyed playing together. When that happened, he has the quotes, you know, what he says, you know, which is hilarious as a fan. We're like, oh yeah, they do bitch all the time. You're right. Um, for you guys in the locker room, did you know it was gonna turn into like this disarray where it was like, oh, they're gonna be really mad at us, or were you guys just like, that's our guy, we got his back, whatever happens, we're there for him.
1: Well, I think there are a couple of things and, uh, you know, for one, Brandon, uh, love Brandon, but, uh, he, he would uh, oftentimes say things in public to the media or whatever else that we all were thinking, but we didn't necessarily (laughs) vocalize it. And after that got out there, we're like, oh boy, like we're going to have to deal with this in some shape or form. And I think, I mean looking back, like it probably would have blown over had he, he was leading off that next game. Yeah. And what he would do just probably part of his routine or out of, out of habit was go up and tap the umpire and the catcher on the shin guards to just say, how you doing? Have a good game, whatever else. And you can see like Molina standing up, not squatting, but standing, looking at him, waiting on him to come over to start the game. And I remember putting up myself and if I was Brandon at this point, I would just get in the box. If they hit me, they hit me. I understand we move on. Well, he proceeds to tap the umpire and tap Molina on the shin guard, which we're all like, why would he do that? And Molina steps up in his face right away. And is just like, you know, don't touch me. Don't F and touch me or whatever he says. And uh, so then Brandon comes up. And at that point they're face to face, toe to toe, bench is clear. Uh, we're all huddled up around home plate, you know, in my opinion, this is something that between Brandon and the Cardinals, um, we're there, uh, in solidarity, but this is not any of our battles. I don't think the fight and it truthfully was not going to be a battle to be fought. However, uh, dusty and Tony LaRussa, who were not typically fond of each other, um, as it was started kind of jawing back and forth about, I can't even remember what it was. And while there it's, it's like a bunch of kids standing around parents who are in a fight or arguing. Usually you let the adults speak and the kids be quiet and listen. Well, that's pretty much what was going on except Chris Carpenter is on the other side of Tony's shoulder and Chris is yelling at dusty. Well, he's the only guy on their side yelling in addition to Tony and then Scott Roland, was a former teammate of many of these guys played for tony friend of carpenter starts reaching over to grab carp to say hey man let's let them hash it out that's enough be quiet well you got two guys uh in this pile that are both you know six five 240 pounds and when they start reaching for each other that tends to move it's like a tidal wave in notion you know so Scott reaches to grab him. He's leaning over Tony's shoulder. Um, that just starts to move guys' feet around. And all of a sudden, you know, from a fan's perspective, you see this, this amoeba, this mass that's, you know, shifted around home plate. It gets pushed back into the, uh, the back wall in the net. And then, of course, Cueto gets pinned up against the net. And I think he just goes instinctual and just starts kicking, not even thinking about having spikes on or whatever else. And hits Jason Larue in the face. I mean, unfortunately, I think he got a concussion and was never really the same uh, in in his career after that. Um, and I, to my knowledge, there were no punches thrown. It was just a lot of kind of pushing and pulling and so forth. But uh, that's that's where it all stemmed from. And you know, frankly, probably should not have happened. But you know, it did. So.
0: Uh- what point did it start to realize in the clubhouse that Joey was going to be MVP was what it, it had to have been way before the votes came out. Like there was something like in June, June on where he was just unbelievable. Like, was there something with you guys where it was like, okay, he's going to be the MVP. Like, this is just too good to be true.
1: Well, I think we all were, were witnessing something that many of us, uh, especially younger guys had not really seen before. Like the level that he was playing at uh, night after night, after night, it was just like, wow, like this is special. And I remember thinking that the only roadblock in his way to win in this award was the fact that he was playing for the Cincinnati Reds and not the New York Mets or the LA Dodgers or some big market team. Uh, obviously, like I said, Joey had had maybe a full year at the most under his belt, and he wasn't a household name. Uh, there were some other guys, I can't remember exactly who, that were in the conversation that was just like, if if Votto doesn't win this award, this is a travesty. He is the MVP, and I'm glad that the sports writers got it right uh, and crowned and him and deserved it. He was doing uh, some very incredible things that year.
0: Yeah, it breaks my heart. He got hurt in 2012 because I think he would have won it again. He was even better that year. It was insane. Yeah. Hurt uh, so 2011, I I know, wasn't necessarily the best. Like You guys were obviously really good, but it was like these like two three-run losses in the ninth inning kept creeping up on you guys. Um, there's one though, moment, though, that was really cool of yours I wanted to share here. This is actually... So this was my birthday, actually. You guys are on Sunday Night Baseball against Atlanta. You lead off the ninth inning. It's the first Sunday Night Baseball game at Great American Ballpark ever. Scott, Lena Brink throws you like literally... Do you remember this? Very well. It's like one of my favorite moments ever. I was like going crazy in the crowd.
1: Very well. Um. So Scott, um, who I, I he lives in the area down here in Texas, and I didn't know him well, but um, you know, I've been around him, great guy. He comes in the game, and and scouting report was he loves to get ahead with a fastball away. And so I was leading off the inning, and I remember coming up there. I'm like, he's, he's going to give me – I'm going to sit fastball away. And if he throws it there, I'm going to try to drive it into right center field. And sure enough, it was a fastball right on the outside corner. And um, if you probably see him exiting the field, he's kind of walking off in disbelief, like shaking his head, like, what happened? It was a pretty good pitch. Like, it was painted away, maybe even slightly off, but because I was zeroed in on that area – knowing that he was probably going to try to get ahead with fastball away and hit it out of the ballpark. Um, I'm sure he's probably throwing his hands in the air, just like, wow, what else, what do I do? You know? But um, yeah, I remember that. I remember, you know, it was one of the few Sunday night games that, that I got to play and uh, you know, having a lot of your friends and family watching on the national stage was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. So I've told this story a lot. Um, my dad passed back in December. And so I've had a lot of like, That year was the only year me and him had season tickets. So, Mm -hmm. even though you guys didn't win a lot of games, you know, well, you did win a lot of games. It just kind of fell apart at the end. Um, which is, um, I had a lot of really cool memories with him. And so, opening day is the year Moni hits the walk off Uh against the Brewers. And Uh my dad, we're like in the bleachers at GABP. And my dad's like, Ramon Hernandez is walking this off. Sure enough. And right before you're at bat, he sees like, he sees Scott come in. My dad looks at me and he goes, Stubbs is walking us off. Like, yeah, it's like, dad's righty on righty. You know, I'm a kid. He's like, I'm telling you, this is going out of there. First pitch. So I was like, what is my, like my really, but my, my favorite moments with my dad. Yeah. It's my, yeah, it's my 22nd birthday. You hit a walk off there. So that was like a really, really fun moment for me. So I, yeah. Dude, see, like like that there. right there is,
1: is, um, I lost my mom to cancer, um, a year ago, in November. So I. I've reflected a lot. You know, it's different when it's your dad and you're doing sure. stuff with. But um, you reflect back on so many things where, you know, it was a memory here, or there, and, and um, you know what you just shared is something that as a player you'll never you'll never know all the all the backstories or, or side stories that are going on uh, that other people may have. You know, I mean, I've had them myself where you know I watched the the last dance, like the Michael Jordan documentary and and, um i would i would watch those games with my dad and then go out in the backyard and replay the game on my basketball hoop yeah and so watching that documentary took me back to a place where i was just like oh my god that was you know my formative years and then same thing watching the jeter documentary you know i was a big jeter fan so watching him in the late 90s doing that so you know just anecdotes or experiences or moments in time that that really uh form a lasting impact on you are, are so like surreal sometimes when you get to play them back and, you know, hearing, hearing your story about that with your dad, it's, it's cool. And and obviously that was a special moment for me and my career and, and so forth. But, uh, you never know, you know, I tell a lot of these young kids in college and then in pro ball now, it's just like, man, you never know who you're going to impact. Like every, every time you go out on the field, it's an opportunity for you to do something special and to, to show somebody what you can do and you never know how you're going to, you know, affect them that day or, or uh, motivate them that day to do something uh, if they're an aspiring player or they're a fan or whatever else. So it's very cool to hear. Thank you.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. It'd be, it's really an awesome moment. So let's get to 2012 because this team freaking ruled. Oh my God. You guys were so awesome. I was so fun to go to the ballpark every night and watch you guys play. Um, you won 97 games that year. Your starting five does not miss a start the whole regular season. Um, going into the offseason, you know, we're coming off this coming off the year before. It's like, okay, what are you guys gonna do? What what's next for the franchise? They trade for Matt Latos and Matt has a really slow start, ends up really good post all-star break. Um, they signed Ryan Ludwig, who was like the perfect bat for what you guys needed. What was it like showing up every night? knowing you guys were going to win like that had to be a pretty cool feeling.
1: Yeah, it was great. And, um, you know, it was not a great year for me statistically, but it was so much fun being around a great group of guys who won a lot of ball games, like you said. And, um, we just, we had a bunch of mojo going throughout the year. Um, you know, we kind of went into the year eyes wide open because, Hey, we had won the division, Two years before, uh, we were in a position to do it again in 2011, and we kind of fell apart. So it's just like, okay, we're now got a couple years under our belt. We're all experienced, been here before. Now it's time to go. And um, you know, we had a lot of momentum going into the postseason. Obviously, going to for whatever reason, I, I can't remember why, but that best of five series against San Francisco, we we were the higher seeded team they won the wild card game to play us but are you guys they go on hosted the road. The first, yeah go on the road for two games and then you come home for three instead of the two two one and quato uh gets hurt in his pre-game warm-ups for game one and we're like oh god and he can't make it past the second inning well late steps in and has a very you know gutsy performance we we claw to win uh we win game two i remember on the plane flight back we're just like all right guys we're going to step on their neck game three and we're going to the World Series. I know we had one more series to go, but I mean, we just we had the feel like I remember looking around and we we're like, man, this this is the year that we can actually like do some real damage in the postseason. Like we've got such a strong team top to bottom with our starting pitching our bullpen. Uh, you know, we had shored that up with Broxton and Sean Marshall and not just like, man, there's just there's no box that's left unchecked um from a you know team building perspective and then just the the weird game three uh i think it was tied maybe in the eighth inning and, and scott had a tough error on the chopper uh joaquin Arias, i remember hit it and and they uh they went up two to one and ended up squeaking out the win to edge us in game three uh blew us out pretty good in game four we're like all right game five let's come back and get them close, maybe tied going into the fourth or fifth or sixth inning and Posey hits the grand slam and just totally deflates you. And that, that series like was one of the toughest um, pills I think I've ever had to swallow in baseball. I mean, including I I lost as a freshman in college, the national championship series uh, to, I think Justin Turner would tell you that uh, Cal state Fullerton was an inferior team to Texas. And, um, you know, as hard as it was to, to lose that as a, as a college kid in the national championship, I think it was tougher um, losing to the Giants that series because, you know, we came out so strong and we were we felt like we were right there. I guess we'd have played maybe the winner of Washington and St. Louis in the next mm-hmm. round, um, and they were both good teams, but just the momentum and the strength that we had as a team, it just felt like it was our year, and it was – taken right out of her hand and obviously the Giants going to win and which is why baseball is such a crazy game that that momentum you know a team that can limp through most of the season and get hot at the right time can go into win it all so uh still kind of bugs me sometimes to think about that 11 years later
0: me too yeah (laughs) yeah me too um there are some great moments that year though like a roll this that year so goes into spring training you're supposed to start Do you think things would have been different if things worked out the original plan?
1: Hard to say. Uh, I remember thinking like we got this guy, uh, he's throwing 103, 105 miles an hour. Like there's nobody else like him. Um, Why don't we take him out of a role that he's been so good in? That was my thought. Mm -hmm. And I get it. They were trying to maximize value in a, in a special talent. Um, You know, who's to say, obviously world baseball class for Cuba, he was starting and, and so forth and, and doing great things. But, um, I don't know. It just never felt right to me trying to convert him into that. Like, obviously you're going to be really effective. If you step in, you're not going to be able to go out there and throw a hundred plus for seven innings. You know, you're going to be probably more, uh, mid nineties and touch hundred maybe, but, um, it's like okay, this guy's doing something that nobody else in the game is doing. Why are we, uh, as as my friend Paul Yanish would say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? And um, it didn't really seem broken to me, so uh, it all worked out. Like obviously at the end, like it like it was intended, I guess.
0: Um, Homer's no hitter in Pittsburgh. What was that night like?
1: Really cool. I mean, I had been a part of no hitters, you know, at the collegiate level. Um, been on the South end of a no hitter in the big leagues. Those aren't very fun, but um, yeah, just Homer was a friend. I mean, he's a fellow Texan. Uh, He, when I was at the university of Texas, he was a signee a year behind me, obviously did not end up coming to school, but I had some familiarity. We we both lived in Austin at the time in the off season. And um, it's like, not only you're pulling for your teammate, but you're pulling for your buddy to do it. We lived together in in 2010 uh, for the season. And uh, man, like Homer always had great potential. And that was like the first few signs of like seeing him really put it together and harness yeah. it. And um, obviously he got another one after that, but uh, yeah, it was just great to see that you see all these flashes of greatness and, and never really sustained it for a full game or a full season. And that was kind of a culmination of like, wow, like when this guy gets his stuff together, he is, he is fun to watch.
0: We you talked about that game three, you guys lose to San Francisco. He's unbelievable for seven innings, like just yeah. unhittable. Yeah, like when he hit that stride, he was like, it was, it was so fun to watch as a fan because he was like, it was really like unhittable at stretches. The 10 game win streak was one of those like really big moments. And obviously the Marty story adds to it. But you guys lose Joey in San Francisco in the regular season. He gets hurt sliding in the third. And Todd goes and plays first base contends for rookie of the year that year. And you guys keep winning. Like when Joey got hurt, was it just a lot of like, all right, we got to step our game up. We lost our guy. Like we can still do this. Or was it just like business as usual for you all?
1: Yeah. It's kind of like next in line. and, And you see it so many times in sports to where, you know, a superstar player goes down and, and, um, you know, you're, you're kind of at a crossroads to where do you, do you fold up the tent or does somebody else step up and continue the drum line going? And that's exactly what we did. Um, you know, having Todd get his first real opportunity to step in there and play every day, uh, who, you know, having Scott at third and Joey at first, there wasn't really a clear path for him, although we knew he was going to be a great big leaguer. Um, I think that was Cozart's first year to really mm-hmm. – Step in and show what he could do day in day out, um, and so yeah, I mean there was just a lot of guys who it was maybe their first opportunity to contribute uh, every day, and then for the rest of the team, it's like okay, guys, like we gotta we gotta pull the rope a little harder because our our guys down. But um, yeah, it was just kind of a unifying effort to where everybody stepped their game up.
0: You uh you got robbed of a gold glove that year. I'm sure you probably feel this way, but you were a million percent robbed. Of the gold glove that year well
1: <laughs> i feel i learned this that uh you know often unless you like i remember it could have been that year or the year before when darwin barney with the cubs uh, yeah gold glove at second base the guy made like one error all year i mean if he doesn't win and you know brandon was a wizard at second base too but like if you play every day and you make one error at that position you're the best defender at your position <laughs> i'm sorry yeah. and my, my point is, like, that award is defensive. However, a lot of times you see a, a player who has an unbelievable offensive season that wins it just because he's a
0: great player yeah. that year. Yeah, McCutcheon and, got it from you.
1: Yeah, McCutcheon, Michael Bourne was right there, and Bornie was in the mix for it year in, year out. Great player. Um, yeah, that I felt like that was my, my best chance to get one, and I always prided myself a lot on my defense. Um, but again, it's like, it's, there's, it's, how do you quantify what a gold glove winner is? I mean, un- unless the numbers are so eye poppingly, uh, differentiated that it's a no brainer. So honestly, I was, I was gratuitous to, um, be a finalist, one of three finalists. And I, I felt like I was, I was the, uh, the due notice that I felt like I deserved and, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's a voting, sometimes a popularity contest on who's going to win that at that point. But, um, you know, this is what it is.
0: A yeah. couple more questions uh, before we get out of here. So the year after that, you obviously get traded to Cleveland. Played year with the Indians, which is a really awesome fan base. My wife's family's all up there, so they're huge. They were really excited when I said you were going to be on my show. Um, when you got traded there, though, you could trade it for Chew. You moved to right field after playing center field for three years in Cincinnati. When you were traded, did they tell you that immediately? Or was that something that like Tito was like, Hey man, we've got this guy in center. We want to move you to right field. What do you think about this?
1: This was a, uh, it was not contentious at all, but it was, I mean, I understood it's a business, but the the way I remember playing out was, um, you know, I was going into arbitration. So I was going to start making some more money. The Reds felt like, for whatever reason shuffling me and and some other pieces around was better for everybody and uh you know spoke that was actually tito's first year to manage there yep um that same offseason like they had signed nick swisher um they would got trevor bauer and brian shaw and matt albers from the diamondbacks and so you know, they had been competitive, not quite there. And all of a sudden, like they're making a little bit of a splash to maybe do some things. And, you know, Chris Antonetti, who was the GM, like tells me I go to equivalent of Reds Fest. It was like an an Indians fan fest that was a little bit later, maybe it was in January or or something like Mm. that. And a month before camp maybe and uh, get up there and they're like, yeah, you know, Michael Brantley has been our center fielder, but uh, you know, you're going to be our center fielder. We're going to ask Brantley to play left. Nick Swisher is going to be in right. Um, Carlos Santana's is going to be our catcher. Sometimes he'll play some first. Um, he's got great tools, but he's, we don't think he's a great catcher. So, you know, we may spell him and DH him a little bit and move Swisher into first base a little as well. So that's kind of what what the outlook was. And then we show up to spring training. I get there maybe a week or so early. And Michael Bourne was on the free agency list. I think, you know, Scott Boris was probably telling him that he was going to get X and, you know, from some team and a contract and uh, just kind of a weird year to where uh, it wasn't playing out that he was going to get the deal that he might have thought he was so he was going to take back and maybe get less money or less years or whatever else. And then the Indians are kind of looking around like, okay, uh, this guy's still on the board and and we might can make this work with the contract structure. And I remember the day, I don't remember if they had already signed him or maybe they were close to signing him, but Tito and Antonetti call me in their office and I'm already in Goodyear. And they say, look, you know, it's looking like we're going to get Michael Bourne signed. And here's the deal. We are going to have three center fielders playing the outfield, you, Brantley, and Bourne. Obviously, we're going to give Bourne $50 million dollars And he's got to be our center fielder because we're paying him all this money. Would you be okay playing right field? And I was just like, well, sounds like I don't have a choice. So the answer is yes. Uh, and I was like, well, you know, it's going to take me a while to get comfortable. Um, it's been since high school, maybe that I even played a corner outfield position. And so they're like, well, do you think you could use spring training to get acclimated? I'm like, yeah, I can figure it out. And I wasn't happy about that. Um, but I understood, you know, it's a business and and so forth. So fast forward, uh, it happens. Um, I do kind of take some lumps in spring training way, like unfamiliar, uh, early on, but by the end of camp and start of the season, like I feel pretty good about playing right field. And I mean, we truly do have a great outfit. We got three guys that are center fielders playing across the board as that year plays out. Um, we had signed Jason Giambi to kind of be more of a veteran presence in the clubhouse, DH, pinch hit a little bit. Well, they figured out pretty quickly that Carlos Santana was not going to be our best bet at catcher. They'd gotten Jan Gomes and Jan was showing that he was a really good player. So Santana being a really good bat in the lineup, he was going to DH or play first base. And then when he played first base, you know, what's Swisher going to do? Is he going to DH? Uh, they Giambi had done really well against right-handed pitching that year so it kind of started as something where it's like hey we're going to load the uh, lineup up with left-handed bats swisher's going to go out to right field giami's going to dh santana's going to play first and then i'm kind of the odd man out and so it kind of evolves into a platoon to where i'm playing against left-handers and you know the right-handers are just you know if giami's going to dh then i'm the odd man out so uh it wasn't a great situation i mean I, I loved my time there were a lot of great people up there uh clearly i wasn't in a position for them to be the highest and best use and so they traded me after that one year to colorado where i would have the opportunity to go back to centerfield um and um you know play more there and probably maximize my value so uh once again love the people up there enjoyed my experience but uh, it just didn't work out to stay there any longer than that.
0: Yeah. Your, your year at Colorado, you were awesome, which I was really happy for you. Um, but there was one moment that year that you, you really hurt my feelings. <laughs> um, and I just really need you to explain yourself on why you did this to me. Um, that, that wasn't fun, Drew. Like I I didn't appreciate that. That one hurt.
1: Yeah. And uh, honestly, like walk off uh grand slam, I think it was, or throw a three run homer, maybe. Um, it was pretty bittersweet to be honest, because that was, we had played the Reds, uh, you know, in an interleague game in Cleveland, but um, that was the like the first time that I had really kind of s- saddled up across from a lot of my former teammates and buddies. And I was friends with JJ Hoover that gave that up. And uh, it was like, man, this feels great to, to do this. And, and, um, but, it, but also it was kind of weird that I was doing it to my, my old team. So no offense, anyone on that.
0: <laughs> you were actually, I don't know if you knew this or not. Tops made that a baseball card.
1: Yeah. With the uh, water shower or whatever yep. it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Actually, cool it, was like, it is a really cool picture. Um, dude, this was so cool. Um, I've had so much fun talking with you. I really, really appreciate your time. Um, before we do get out of here, I want to make sure. So if you had the trivia question earlier, Drew, the answer was fifth, Ten different left fielders oh, wow.
1: valentine forgot about him yeah d mac drew sutton there's a short stop playing uh her x paul yeah wow that was way more than i would have guessed
0: me too yeah <laughs> me too um but all, yeah like i said you were one of my favorite players here so i'm really excited um can I tell people that you were, Is I guess yeah. this is what it was. So you're going to be back in town this summer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, share it with whoever, I think it's going to be a, a cool deal. Um, you know, middle of July, Bronson Arroyo going into the Reds hall of fame. Uh, we've talked with a handful of our old teammates from those 2010, 11, 12 era uh, teams. Like let's, let's try to get the band back together uh, just selfishly. Uh, and, celebrate you know bronson's career he's a great great guy great teammate um obviously a great pitcher and just uses an opportunity now that we're out of the game to to get back and to see some old familiar faces and to celebrate him uh and then i'm going to try to do it again the next weekend with uh cooperstown and scott Rowland going to the national hall of fame so um you know it's you still feel young most of the time until, you know, you start seeing stuff like this happen. And and then you look around the league and you probably have more buddies that are on coaching staffs now than you do uh, on active rosters. (laughs) So uh, the league is getting younger and and we're getting a little older, but um, no, it's going to be a great opportunity to get back and hopefully see some familiar faces and, and hang around for a weekend.
0: Yeah. Well, if I do get a chance to bump into you, you get around on me for being so nice and give me an hour of your time. I know you're a busy man, so Anytime. I do definitely appreciate that. Um, once
1: once my kids go down to bed, this is like the golden hour for me, so I'm, I'm happy to share it and, uh, you know, love to come back on at some point if, if there's more questions drummed up by fans or whoever else.
0: Oh, absolutely. I would definitely love to have you back. Uh, but we're going to wrap this up, at this week's edition of Late Night Reds Talk with Drew Stubbs. Uh, this was a really, really great time. Thanks to everyone who hung out in the chat. Uh, You had a lot of Hook'em Horns comments in the chat, so I figured you'd appreciate that. Um, But if you're checking this out, again, thank you so much. Uh, We're going to wrap this up. Everyone, thank you so much. Have a good night, and we'll talk soon.
1: Thanks, Tim.